Hi, I'm Maddie. Welcome to the Faith Community YouTube channel. We'd love to know where you're joining from in the comments. And hey, take a moment to share this message with a friend and then hit the red subscribe button. Also, if you'd like to learn more about getting connected at Faith Community, stick around at the end of the video for more details. We hope this message encourages you to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. My name is Josh. My wife, Lauren, and I have been the uh, pastors of this church since June of 2014. 2014, so about a little over seven and a half years. We've been in this process, though, uh, for almost 10 years. We did a transition with the previous pastor, and there's one thing that uh, I, I learned along the way, and I know Lauren probably learned it before I did because she learns lessons way faster than I do, and that is it's been a journey of faith, an ultimate journey of faith, because you know what? I've told this story before, but uh, I, I never wanted to be a pastor. Uh, that was my grandpa. He thought I was going to be a pastor. I'm like, absolutely not. I watch what you went through. I'm going to go be a missionary and I'm going to learn Spanish, and I'm going to get out of here. And then uh, God dropped me in House Springs, right? And, uh, and we're all white, and, um, and hardly any of you speak Spanish. And so it's been kind of confounding to me. But God called us to this. It's been a journey of faith. And we're in the book of uh, Nehemiah. We started last week and, and talking about who he is and his journey. And the book of Nehemiah is the story of God rebuilding, restoring, and renewing his people. But he does it through a man called Nehemiah. And they rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He's, he's Jewish, but he was born into captivity. The Babylonians took over the Jewish people and then the Persians for them. And Nehemiah has never seen Jerusalem. He lives 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And yet he feels burdened to rebuild these cities walls, and God uses him to do that. And last week, we talked about who he is. And uh, one of the things we ended on was this, that prayer activates faith, because the first thing that Nehemiah did was he fell to the ground, he wept, he mourned, and he fasted, and then he prayed. And And chapter one is pretty much about Nehemiah's prayer. He prayed first, and then it ended with this, chapter one, and he said, so I was the cupbearer to the king, dun, 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 into the episode if you're on Netflix, it starts in four seconds, four, episodes, four seconds, right? Next episode coming in four seconds. But I was the cupbearer to the king. That's how the chapter ends. And we get into chapter two, and we think, wow, chapter two is just going to be like right on the heels of chapter one. But it, it starts talking about uh, how Nehemiah had to, had to wait. He had to wait. But they was waiting in faith. One of the things we're going to see today is, is Nehemiah's faith, but I wanted to, to start out talking about faith. Last week, we talked prayer activates our faith, that, that what is faith? You know, if you think about it, you know, I've heard maybe a lot of things about what faith is, and you, someone say, you, you got to have faith, right? Just, just have faith. Anybody told you that? Just, just have faith. It'll work out. It's like, what do you mean, have faith? I don't know what that means. And we went through a period of time in, in teaching in, in America that like faith was like, in the name of Jesus, I want to drive a Maserati. So Maserati show up in my garage. In the name of Jesus, I want to make this amount of money. So we took faith and we made it this consumer principle and it sold really well, right? It sold really well. We started saying things in faith. Now, hey, don't get me wrong. There is power in God's word. I just can't take God's word and say whatever I want and make things happen. That's not faith, you know, because if something didn't happen, it's like, well, you don't have enough faith. It's like, wow, what do we believe in faith or we believe in Jesus? You know what? What is faith? So to get that answer, before we get into Nehemiah chapter 2, we got to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, go all the way to the 
to the New Testament towards the end, Hebrews chapter 11, called the Hall of Fame chapter in the scripture, listing out all these people who acted in faith. But it starts with a definition of what faith is. And it says this, now faith is, not now faith might be, sometimes, no, no, now faith is. This is what it is. It is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance and it's evidence. Substance and evidence. One of the things that it doesn't say is now faith feels. Nobody ever said, I feel faith. You know, I don't know what that is, but you know, we don't feel faith. Maybe sometimes we feel certain emotions, but faith is not an emotion. Faith is not, an, is not a feeling. The writer of Hebrews says it is substance and it is evidence. Those are real things, right? Things that have substance and there, if there's evidence, it's, it's real. So we have to look up what does substance mean? What does evidence mean? The word substance means this. It's that which has a foundation. It has actual existence. There's an underlying reality. It is a real being. There's a confidence and a firm assurance. So now faith is a substance of things hoped for. And then it's evidence. Here's evidence. Proof that by which a thing is proved or tested or a conviction. What the writer's telling us is faith is real. Not only is faith real... But God is real. That God is real. That there's substance to God. Now it says it's faith, it's substance of things hoped for, and evidence of things not seen. Now who in here has seen God? I don't mean Jesus that was on the piece of toast that was on eBay. I mean like who have seen God, right? Some people say, well, I had a dream and this is what God looked like. Maybe that's how God revealed himself to you, but we don't know. We've not seen God, right? How many of you have touched God? I've not seen, nor have I touched. How many of you felt God? Yeah, yeah. Right? But we've never seen him. We've we've never talked to him, like conversation face-to-face like this. But yet we believe. Why do we believe? Because we have faith, which is substance and evidence, and not just a feeling. Not just a feeling. There's some actual reality to this, that God is real, and it is in him that we have faith. That he has put substance and evidence in this world that we can see that he is real. And then, then we can really look at the substance and the evidence of him working in our lives. There's a foundation for this. You see, that's why we can't just take faith and say, oh, if you got faith, then you can do anything you want. No, no, no. The faith is not in, in, in just our words. The power is in God and God's word has power because he's real and he exists. Listen to what what one commentator wrote who quoted some other guy named Martin Luther. I don't know if you've heard about him. But Martin Luther, he said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, said Martin Luther. It is so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. The promise is that all things are possible to him who believes, Mark 9.23. And Jesus said that living faith can move mountains, Matthew 17.20. Now, Jesus said, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and the mountain will go away. Do you really think that Jesus was said, you can stand in front of Mount Olympus, and with enough faith, if you work it up, say, Mount Olympus, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and the mountain's going to disappear? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, is that if, if, if you believe in God who is real, and, that there, and he's the God that created all things, everything that you see and everything that you do not see, That the power is rooted in God. If you put your faith in him, that it is God that can move mountains. 
right? It is God that can remove the, the obstacles in our lives, that we can speak to the obstacles in our lives, not on the basis of our own ability or capability, but upon him. See, because faith is not rooted in, nor is it predicated on your ability to do something. It's rooted in God's ability to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. If you can do it, you don't need faith. We say, I got faith in me. That's different, right? It's rooted in what God can do for you that you cannot do for yourself. It's important to understand because that's where Nehemiah is. That's where we often find ourselves in lives facing things that are bigger than us things that we cannot fix, no matter how smart we are, no matter how much money we have, no matter how many, how many resources are at our, our beck and call, there are just things that we cannot fix. There are mountains that we face. And who are we going to, or what are we going to put our faith and our trust in? Us, our stuff, our intellect, or in God, which is substance and evidence. We need to think about that. That's a profound statement, and it's not a feeling. So if anybody here today says, I don't feel like I have faith, good, good, because we won't always feel it. But we'll see Nehemiah here, Nehemiah. Now, here's the thing about Nehemiah. We're going to look at two things today. In between chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's this thing called time. Not four seconds, right? Not another episode. He says this, early, in the, following, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. Okay, early in the spring. They estimate there were four months in between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Four months of waiting. The thing that Nehemiah had, the faith, how his faith was activated is, is that Nehemiah had the faith to wait. He waits four months before he talks to the king. Like he's all burdened and stuff and he's fasting and he's praying and he knows the walls need to be rebuilt and he's probably like these walls need to be rebuilt quicker or sooner than later, but he waits four months. So why did he wait four months? Some commentators believe that the cupbearer served on a four-month rotation, so this was his time to serve. He had to wait four months. We don't know that for sure, but we do know that he waited four months before he went to the king to get his request into the king. Four months. Nehemiah had the faith to wait. Had the faith to wait. So he waits four months and the king said this. He goes, I was serving the king and his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence. And if you're wondering why was Nehemiah serving him his wine? Because he was the cupbearer, which meant that Nehemiah uh, was like a crash dummy for the king. He had to taste all the drinks and eat all the food, taste the food before it went to the king. Because if then there was poison, Nehemiah would die and not the king. This is his job. All right, constantly trying to assassinate the king. So this was what Nehemiah's job was. He said, the king looked at him and said, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And Nehemiah says, then I was terrified. He was afraid. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Waited four months. For his audience with the king. I don't know about you. I don't like to wait on anything. He has the faith to wait. I never made the connection that faith equals waiting. Faith is you do something, right? You hear something and then you do something. That's faith. But what if, what if faith is also not doing something and waiting? I think of the verse in the psalmist said, Be still and know that I'm God. Be still 
And then one of my least favorite verses in all of scripture where Paul says, having done all else to stand, stand firm. Like that's the best you got, Paul. I, I put on this armor of God and I have a sword and a shield and a helmet and you want me to stand? And you want God to do the work and I just get all armored up to stand? No, just stand firm. Wait. Sometimes we, we just bust out and we do things because we think we have faith and God said, therefore I got to do. Well, maybe you need to take a moment to see if God really said. Number one, how do you know? Well, is it, can you, can, is it in line with his word? That would be truth. And the next thing is time. Truth and time. Now, I went to my first semester of college at Central Missouri State University because I just thought, I got to get out of here. And plus, I got a little bit of a scholarship. I went to CMSU, um, you know, and then I joined a fraternity. Like, I was going to win the fraternity for Jesus. <laughs> I didn't win them for Jesus. They won me for other stuff. And um, <laughs> I knew after a while that uh, it probably wasn't going to go well if I stayed there. Like, going to class and stuff like that. It's pretty important, you know. Uh, thankfully, I made it out of there with some good grades. But going to class is key if you're in college. Let me tell you that. It's more important than going to a party. I can just tell you that right now. But I was really knew I, I shouldn't be there. And I knew that, that I needed to come home and do some stuff. I didn't know what to do. And so my grandfather was a pastor for many years. I came home, it was like Thanksgiving or something. And I said, Grandpa, what, I need to ask your advice. You know, what, 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 what do I do? I said, I, I've been running around, knocking on every door, trying every door handle. What, what, do I, what should I do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And I'm thinking, he's going he's gonna to tell me what to do. And he says, be still, Josh, and know that he's God. I was like, I don't want the preacher answer. Tell me what to do, right? <laughs> Be still, Josh. I couldn't hear the voice of the Lord because I was so busy trying to do it. I wouldn't have faith. I was trying to do it on my, my own. Be still. And his, his advice, well, God's advice, proved to be pretty, pretty profound. Because in the waiting, I think, is really where faith is formed and forged. I think it's in the waiting that the substance and the evidence of faith begins to become more real to us. And we can see it and we can uncover it. It's in the waiting where God does some of his most profound work. It's in the waiting where we're having to trust that God is working and we are not. That we trust God more. And not just ourselves. It's easy to trust me. It's not so easy to trust you. And I can see you and touch you. Maybe that's why it's hard. But then to trust God that I cannot see and I cannot touch, but there's substance and there's evidence. My question is, are we willing to wait? Are we willing to wait for God to move, for God to speak, for God to form us? Let's wait and see, did God really say? Let's wait and see. If God is in this, then he's going to bring it to pass. Because here's one thing that bugs me about God. Anything bug you about God? That's your, in church, I know you're in church, but you can say yes. <laughs> it's like God says, I'm going to do this thing. And you get all excited about it. He shows you a picture. And then the delta or the gap between what God showed you and where you are. The gap is the journey to get there. It's like, it's not five minutes. Sometimes it's not five days or five months. Sometimes it's five years. Sometimes it's much longer than that. It's like, God, why did you show me that? Like, I, you told me on Saturday, and I woke up on Sunday, and it hadn't happened yet. You know, but it's in the waiting. And I, and I think our culture doesn't appreciate waiting anymore. Right? We don't, we don't understand delayed gratification. You know, we don't understand that time can do some pretty profound work. 
You know, I think one of the areas that we're okay with is at least investing, because, you know, if you put your money in and you have a, the capacity to think in terms of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, time is going to do some pretty amazing work, right? God is much more like compounding interest than he is like just winning the lottery, you know? His interest compounds as he makes deposits, and he makes investments, and we partner with God, and we allow him to work on us, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. But here, waiting is not wasting time. Listen to what Warren Wearsby says. When you wait on the Lord in prayer, you are not wasting your time. You are investing it. God is preparing both you and your circumstances for it, so that his purposes will be accomplished. However, when the right time arrives for us to act by faith, we dare not delay. You're not Wasting your time if you're waiting. You're only going to miss what God is doing if you just are so bent on getting out of the waiting period. You'll circumvent God's process. And you can get what you want, but maybe the thing that you want, that God even has for you, if you skip the process, that thing will destroy you. Because you don't have the character. And you didn't go through the formation. And your roots aren't deep enough. And your foundation wasn't built enough. And you're standing on the thing and you got the thing, but it's, it's killing you. God is not mean. God is not withholding. God knows the beginning from the end. Trust his process. But when it comes time to act, that's when the waiting kicks in and it proves to be so incredibly good and fruitful. You notice Nehemiah said, I was terrified. I was terrified. I'm so glad the writer left that in the scripture because it helps us relate to Nehemiah. Because you think, well, part of being, having faith is not being afraid. And I would say part of having faith is being afraid and doing it afraid. Why is he terrified? Because you did not do anything to upset the king. He could kill you for just making him sad. That's nuts, isn't it? Maybe not so nuts. We know some people who we got to bring out the eggshells every time we're around them, right? You know anybody like that? I can't, I can't, I can't tell the truth. I can't, can't act any way. I just got to keep this person happy. In that culture, you did not upset the king. So for Nehemiah to even look sad, the king could kill him and say, get out of bed, I banish you from my presence. You're, you're messing with my mojo, man. And we know this is true because you can go to the book of Esther in chapter four and read that too. She was afraid for her life because she approached the king and she wasn't even called upon. Nehemiah is risking his life to make this run request. So he has the faith to wait, but we also see from Nehemiah is that he did it afraid. He did it afraid. Some of you, maybe there are some things that God is asking you to do to step out in faith and you've waited and now it's time, but you're like, I can't do it because I'm afraid. I'm just going to tell you, just do it afraid. Like the fear isn't going to go away until you do it. I encountered this little booklet when I was working at JMM called Do It Afraid. Although I was working on the Spanish line first and I saw, hazlo con temor, do it afraid. A little booklet that Joyce Meyer wrote. And it, it changed me. I'm like, oh, okay, well, if, I, if the fear isn't going to go, I'm just going to do it afraid. And I think it's like this. There's faith and there's fear. And which one's going to win out in our life? It's interesting. If you take the acrostic or acronym of fear, they say it's false evidence appearing real. Right? False evidence appearing is real. And what, what are you going to believe in? What are you going to allow to win out in your life? Fear or faith? Everything that, that, that I've done, and I'd say Lauren and I've done in the past 10 years, has been a step of faith. But we've been afraid every step of the way. Every step of the way. 
We were, we were driving the other day, and we were talking about a vacation that we had been on, and one of the things that we did was we swam in, like, caves and cenotes and stuff, and one of them, you could jump off, like, this 12-foot platform into the cenote, and Carson really wanted to do it, really wanted to do it. And we went there, and he's like, Dad, I just, I, I can't, I can't do it. He, he couldn't do it, and I just jumped off. And he was asking me, how did you do that? I said, afraid. He's like, because, Dad, man, I, I, my, part of me wanted to, but my brain was like, absolutely not, you know, and I couldn't get my body to move, and it's just, I couldn't do it. And he's like, how'd you do it? I said, you did it afraid. There's not been one thing that I've done in the last 10 years that was of, of consequence in my life of God leading where I wasn't afraid. The fear only went away when I did what he said to do. That's, that's just how he works. You know, you do it afraid. So what, what do you need to do afraid? What's the conversation that you need to have? What's the decision that you need to make? What's the, the thing that you need to stop or the thing that you need to start and you're afraid? I'm telling you, if it's from God, truth and time, you're going to find out in the waiting, test it out. Do it afraid. Because the fear isn't going to go away. God isn't just going to go, boom, no more fear. He doesn't give fear. He doesn't motivate through fear. But you will be afraid because you're a human being. And guess what? Nehemiah wasn't just afraid. He was terrified for his life. For his life. And what's, what's amazing is, is that he, he, he says, all right, well, well King, you know, uh, why couldn't I be afraid? Because the place of my ancestors where they're buried is burnt to the ground and they have no protection. It's a gutsy move. Because he's like saying, look what you all did. Wasn't my fault. It's you, Persian Empire. You're responsible for this. Like, you don't really do that. Because Nehemiah, again, he's not Persian. He's Jewish. Right? He's a conquered person, a captive living in captivity. Telling the king this. And then, then, we see Nehemiah having the faith to ask. Because here's what the king said. And just think about what Nehemiah said. He was terrified, and he said what he needed to say. And just imagine Nehemiah held his breath. And the king said, well, how can I help you? And then Nehemiah went, because he gets one or two statements. Get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. You're dead to me. Or how can I help you? When Nehemiah heard, how can I help you? I think the fear subsided just a little bit. How can I help you? Listen to that question. This is the king of the probably most prolific empire at the time. He asks Nehemiah, how can I help you? How can I help you? Then Nehemiah better know what help he needs. One commentator said it like this. What an opportunity for Nehemiah. All the power and the wealth of the kingdom were wrapped up in that question. What? Some translations say, the king said, what do you want, Nehemiah? All the wealth and the resource. Imagine if you... You know, you're able to sit with somebody that has the resources that you need to do the thing that God put on your heart, or they've got whatever, they have whatever you need, and they say, what do you need? You better know what you need. Because then here's what Nehemiah says. He said, first, with a prayer to God of heaven. Imagine the king says, what do you want? Nehemiah's like, in the name of Jesus, you got to help me, you got to help me. King, here's what I need, king. That's probably, boom. You see prayer, though. That's Nehemiah's default. He prays first with a prayer to the God of heaven. Okay, I made it through the getting sad thing. Now I'm going to risk my life one more time, and I'm going to ask him for what I need. And he says this. He says, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah and rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. What you'll notice is he didn't say, well, Mr. Artaxerxes, king of Persian Empire, God said you are going to build these walls, and you are going to give me what I need. You ever had anybody come up to you and say, well, God said. He, didn't, he wasn't arrogant. 
Faith is not arrogant. Faith is humble. Faith is not arrogant. Faith is humble. It's confident, but it's not arrogant. He's smart. He thought, how many, how many times do you think he had this conversation in four months? Right? He played the role of the king. He played the role of Nehemiah. He's like, he played the role of getting his head chopped off. He played the role of, you know. And he says, king, if it, if it pleases you and, and if, if I'm your servant and you're pleased in me, he says, this is, this is my, my request. So smart in the way that he did it. You know, um, I said I never wanted to be the pastor, not just the pastor, a pastor. You know, and then Lauren and I, we were uh, driving home from here one night because I grew up here in this church and it was a Wednesday evening. We were driving home. I think, pretty sure Carson was born at this point. And I said, we were just talking, we were on Highway 21. And I said, you know, Lauren, I've been having this recurring thought. And she's like, I've been having a recurring thought. And so she's like, what is it? And I said, no, you go first and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I just keep thinking, what if we were to pastor this church someday? Now, grant you, no one had said a word. No, I didn't know Pastor Ed was going to retire. He'd been here for like 28 years at that point. Nobody was hunting us down. I mean, hey, I got a degree in Spanish and a minor in theology, and I'm working at Joyce Meyer Ministries, you know, taking phone calls. I'm not a hot, uh, you know, ticket for this place. I'm not the guy... Nor, is, nor we were the people that you're going to look for. And so we were like, well, you know, what do we do with this? Because she was like, I had the same thing. You know, God's been waking me up, and I've been praying about it, and I just can't stop thinking about it. And I was like, what are we supposed to do? I'm like, we can't tell anybody, you know? <laughs> it's like, we're not going to march into Pastor Ed's office and be like, hey, God said I'm going to take your job, bro. So, you know, when are you leaving? God said, man. God said. And so we didn't do that. Uh, I went out. To lunch with a mentor of mine, and I said, his name's Pastor Lynn, I said, this is what Lauren and I feel like God is saying, you know, what, what, what do we do with this? He goes, oh, nothing. I said, what do you mean, nothing? Don't do anything with it. Don't go telling people, you know? Just do the last thing God said until the next thing, and just pray. Like, he said, truth in time. He basically, he said, oh, just wait. I'm like, no, but I, you know, this is what God said. No, it's what you think God said, bro. But if this is going to happen, it's only going to be God opening the doors. Let's just keep working, man. Another mentor of mine said, just keep your hand to the plow in the field you're harvested in. Just keep working where you're at. Let God do what God's going to do in the environment that you're in. Don't, don't stop giving your all where you're at because you think you're going to be somewhere else. Finish strong, what he was saying. Wait. And then, I'm telling you, there... <laughs> Nothing happened for like a year. God didn't, apparently didn't speak to anybody else. <laughs> no one said, hey, Josh, we think you're going to be the next pastor of this church. But, but slowly, God began to work, and we had a conversation here and a thing here, and over time, God began to put the pieces of the puzzle together. But what I realized, man, had God put us in that position or had we rushed the process, there would be no way that we would ever have been ready. What I find is, is that God says, here's this point in the future. This is what I'm calling you to. Now I'm going to put you in the process of preparation and molding and shaping in the waiting. Nehemiah, Nehemiah took that four-month waiting period, and you know what? He planned and he prepared. He prayed, and he planned, and he prepared because he knew. Listen to what Nehemiah says to the king. He says, how the king said, with the king sitting behind him, he said, oh, I skipped this part, sorry, in verse 6. 
He says, the king says, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. The king agreed to my request. He said, I think of those questions. The king says, okay, how long are you going to be gone? What do you need? And Nehemiah had to give an answer. Can you imagine if you, if you go before someone and you, they, you think they can help you and they say, well, how much do you need and what is it going to look like? And you're like, I don't know, man, I got faith. Chances are that person's probably not going to invest in you. See, faith is not an excuse to not plan. Faith is not an excuse for disorder. Well, what, but God can change your plans. Yeah, 100% he can. But faith will have you to plan and to consider and pray. And God will do what you cannot do. Nehemiah took the opportunity to plan. He thought about it. And he thought about it in detail because listen to this. I also said to the king, hey, king, if it please, please you, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River. That's specific. Instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph. Pretty specific. The manager of the king's forest instructing him to give me timber. I will need to make it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house. He even thought he got to build himself a house. It's going to take a while to build these walls. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. That's how much he thought about it. Nehemiah, he had never been there. He lived 800 miles away. He lives in the fortress. But he's like, I need beams for this gate. And he had probably heard so many stories, and he probably talked to people about, hey, what are these gates look like and all of that and I need I need letters so that you know, this guy will give me the timber and I need you know I'm gonna cross the river here and I just need he's telling the king all this the king's like man Nehemiah I know why this guy's trustworthy I can trust him why because he risks his life for me every day and he knows what he needs to do he planned he prepared but first he prayed I think it was in the prayer and it was in the waiting that faith began to build the evidence and the substance. But what I love about this, what I love about it, is, is at the end of his thing to, to us as the readers, he says, and the king granted it because of my amazing planning. The king granted it because I'm hot stuff, you know, whatever the case may be. He says, no, the king granted my request. Why? Because the gracious hand of God was on me. What was Nehemiah's faith rooted in? God's ability, God's sovereignty, God's grace. Back to what Martin Luther said, a firm conviction of God's grace. Conviction is evidence. Nehemiah had substance and he had evidence. And it was not in his ability, but it was in God being with him, having positioned him in that, in that place that he said, the king granted my request because the gracious hand of God was on me. Nehemiah's faith was rooted, rooted in who God was. And what God wanted to do. That's where his faith. And he didn't walk in demanding. He was humble. And he asked. But he did it afraid. What, what I also find interesting about Nehemiah is. And how God uses. God used Nehemiah. He used an outsider to go back and build. Nehemiah had never been there. He didn't grow up there. There were people that had gone back before. God used something new. Something different. To accomplish his purpose. One commentator said this, that, that Nehemiah used the past as a rudder to propel him into the future, but not as an anchor to keep him there. He said, well, that's kind of a cute saying. What does that mean for you and me? You know, it takes no faith to replicate the past. It takes no faith to duplicate what God has done. But that's where a lot of us get stuck, trying to do what someone else has done, trying to replicate what God did in someone else's marriage. 
what God did in someone else's finances. Now, you're saying, but God never changes. That's right, but maybe his methods do. He himself, his character does not change. And there, we have yet to tap into the riches of who he is. Some of us, we're just stuck back here because we're trying to do it ourselves. Well, I know how things should go, and I know how things should be. And God is saying, you know, like he said to, to uh, Samuel, to tell Eli, behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. I love the specificity of the scriptures sometimes. That's the best translation we've got. Thing. Because maybe that's literally what God said. I'm going to do a new thing. Maybe God wants to do a new thing in your life. And it's not wrapped up with all the instructions and there's not the specificity there and it's really just going to be faith. And you've got to take what you've learned in the past as a rudder and let it guide you into the future and not an anchor. Don't anchor yourself to the past. Anchor yourself to God. God is in motion, right? God knows the beginning from the end. And he doesn't have to do things the same way that he's always done them, right? Because you're unique and your situation is unique. Don't, don't get stuck. I mean, a lot of churches get stuck in the past because people are more committed to what God has done and they're trying to replicate something rather than trusting what God is doing now. Having faith, hey, we're gonna take everything we've learned that substance and that evidence, and we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to gain more substance. We're going to gain more evidence. For God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing now? Just like we sang, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Being on the oceans out there doing that. That's, a, that's an exciting adventure to sing about. It's less exciting to live, right? But that's what God is doing through, through Nehemiah. He's sending someone from the outside to accomplish his purpose and his plan. And so for you today, what, what is it that's, that's winning out in your life? Is it faith or is it fear? And don't buy into the fact that fear is keeping you safe because it isn't. How do you know that? Oh, because I'm afraid all the time. You know? I feel fear a lot of times. Like I said, this journey for Lauren and I, almost at every turn, it's been, I, I'm, I'm afraid to do this. But we're going to do it. Why? Because God said. And because he's been faithful. And he's never failed me. And he won't start now, just like we sang. Either he is who he says he is or he isn't. What is going to win out for you? Faith or fear? And it's probably not going to feel it. You feel fear. Fear is incessant. Fear is, is a buzz in your pocket. It's a push notification. It's a ding in your inbox. It's a, little, it's a little number on the outside of an app. It's just because we live in an incessant case of fear, right? I mean, you can read anything you want today, and it'll, most of it's going to be motivated by fear, right? When's the next variant coming? Oh, then there's inflation. Oh, then there's this coming. Oh, now there's a new avian flu. Oh, China. Oh, it, maybe all those things are legitimate. But that's not going to help you. The one thing that hasn't changed in any of that is, is God. And it's faith, because faith is not always going to be a vibration in your pocket or a ding in your inbox or a notification on your favorite app. Faith is also just going to be, I think, more slow. Faith is like a whisper sometimes. And the only way, place we encounter faith, or the only way is, is that we disconnect ourselves from the fear pipeline and we just be still and know that he's God. Allow that evidence and that substance to build. And then when opportunity presents itself, we act in faith in the presence of fear.
Act in faith in the presence of fear. Warren Wearsby was a commentator that, that I'm using in, as part of this study. He wrote a commentary on, on Nehemiah. In chapter 2, he titled chapter 2 of his, his book this, The Mountain Starts to Move. The Mountain Starts to Move for Nehemiah. And I think that is so appropriate for our lives that when we start taking small steps of faith, God begins to move the mountain. And sometimes the mountain moves ever so slightly. What you're going to find next week is, is that Nehemiah is, is in gumdrops and roses from here. He's going to get there and he's going to face opposition. And opposition is going to have names because the opposition is people. Some of us are looking at, you know, well, I'll know the plan of God for my life when there's no opposition. I would say you'll know the plan of God for your life when there is opposition. Not all opposition is from the, you know, is, is evidence for us to say, well, this isn't God. And so we're going we're to dig into that next week. You'll see God working in and through the opposition. And how do we continue to live in faith when things are opposing us, right? We just do it afraid. And we trust in God and what he's revealed in that time and the season uh, of waiting, Nehemiah had the faith to wait and the faith to ask. And my encouragement to you today would be this. Whatever God is asking you to do, however seemingly insignificant or however big it is, do it afraid. Do it afraid because you're going to gain more substance and evidence of who God is in your life because he's faithful. He is faithful. We've sung that song all my life. You've been faithful. All my life. You've been so, so good. Not all my life it's been convenient. Not all my life it's been easy. Not all my life have you answered every request in the way that I want you to, but all my life you've been faithful. Faithful. He's good. I've been doing this for 10 years. And I've been afraid a lot. But he's been faithful. Faithful. And my grandfather's advice still rings true. Be still and know that he is God, and you are not. And you are not. He loves you. I got one more thing to say. I felt prompted to say this during worship, and I thought, that's not part of my message. God, you didn't tell me this ahead of time. There's a thing I encountered at a, a pastor's event. I'm talking about the gap. The gap between our expectation and our experience, Right? The gap between our expectation and our experience. What's our expectation versus what actually happens? How many of you know it often doesn't happen the way that you expected it to? There's the gap. The gap has to be filled with something. And the gap, we can fill that gap. We fill that gap with trust. All right? You've got two choices. You can believe the best or assume the worst. About people, about situation, believe the best or assume the worst. Here's what I want to say today. Number one, what do you believe about God? Do you believe the best or assume the worst about him? But think about this. There's a gap for God, too, between his expectation and his experience of humanity. God continues to believe the best about you. How do we know that? Because love is patient, love is kind, it does not enemy, it does both, but it always believes the best. God is love. He always believes the best. He doesn't ignore. He's not unaware of you in your life. But between his expectation and his experience, he chooses to fill the gap with he believes the best 
about you because he created you. Now, can we believe the best about him? That's faith. That's faith. All right? Now we got to pray. I don't want to leave. This is good stuff. Yeah. I want to pray for you guys. You can clap. Please, the best. Let me pray for you guys. Let's stand up. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you over these last few years of craziness. You've proved yourself faithful. You've proved yourself good. You've been constant and consistent, and you've never failed us, and you won't start now. Father, I pray for those of us in the room and those of us online that are just battling between that tension of faith and fear. But I thank you, your word says you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And your perfect love that believes the best casts out all fear. So we just pray in Jesus' name for the power of fear to be broken. That in faith we can look and observe the fear and say, hey, we're going to choose faith. We're going to choose to trust God. We're going to choose to believe the best. Father, I pray for the, whatever the situations are that we're facing, the mountains that we're looking at, Lord, that as we step out in faith, we believe that that mountain has begun to move because you're moving it, not us. You're moving that mountain. Mountains have begun to move in this place today and in our lives. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you just give the confidence and the courage that it takes to step out in faith. No matter how big or how small the issues are, you are leading us, and it feels like you're leading us out under the waters at times, but you're leading us to you. You're good and you're faithful. Father, I would just pray for anyone in here today that says, you know what, my step of faith is to trust you and to believe that you are God. To say that I, I, I'm, I have sin in my life, I have things that are wrong, and I need to stop living the way that I'm living, and I need to trust you and acknowledge that you are God and that you do forgive. And so, Lord, I come to you and I say, hey, here I am. Take my sin, take my brokenness, and I am in need of and receive your forgiveness. And I declare that I'm new because you do that, and I will, I will follow you. I will, I will make you the leader of my life. And the scripture says, the Lord of my life, I will put my trust in you, and I will turn from all of those things, and, and I receive your grace. Lord, I pray that we can experience what Martin Luther said, that confidence in your grace, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it be Jesus that we fix our eyes upon and we root ourselves in and build our lives on the foundation of who he is. Help us to believe the best and not assume the worst. And Father, as your word tells us in, in the book of Numbers, that when you bless the people, you will bless them. So Father, we pray, may you bless us and protect us. May you make your face to smile upon us and be gracious to us. May you show us your favor and give us your peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today. We're always seeing new faces, and we would love the opportunity to meet you. Text NEW TO FAITH to 97000, and someone from our team will be in touch to answer any questions you have about faith community. And if you made the decision to follow Jesus today, text that same word, NEW TO FAITH to 97000. 
our team would love to celebrate with you and get some resources to you. We also want to stay in touch on social media. We're there throughout the week posting content we believe will encourage you and help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, as well as YouTube. And speaking of that, if you're joining on YouTube, make sure you hit that red subscribe button and the bell icon so you're the first to know when new content is available. And finally, we know life can be challenging no matter where you're at on the journey, and we would love to come alongside you in prayer. Let us know if we can pray for you by sending us an email or on the app. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.